Hey everybody, welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. I'm Molly. And I'm sorry that we are so incredibly weak delayed in getting you this episode. Um, if you if this is your first time joining us, we try to be weekly, but Molly and I have had, we're married and we have four kids and it's been like... It's been a kind of crazy it's couple of weeks. It's been a crazy couple of weeks. Including this week. This week has also been yes, a little bit crazy. You had to bump a board meeting. Um, part of it too is because I was, I've been trying to get my ski patrol days in. Yes. And then you not being here for a whole day. Yeah. Does make things crazy. But Twice I didn't, in a week, I didn't tell maybe. you this, but our church, well, you knew that our small group canceled for last night. Yes. I saw that. I was planning to not go. Oh. Even if I was, I just needed an evening off. Right. And so I was going to let them know that we were too busy and just needed some downtime. We're so too I was busy to go to small group. Well, you know, I mean, because of judo, our kids go to bed after nine o'clock, two days a week, which is a lot for kids who are 10, eight and six. And especially it's every single week, you know, that's a stretch for me because I'm, yeah. I'm a scheduler, at least where the kids are concerned. And I value their sleep because well-rested kids equal a better chance at a sane mom. It's not a guarantee, but it's at least a better chance. Truth. I think I I mentioned this when I came downstairs, but I'm going to say it again right now because there's going to be a weird break uh-huh. in the podcast in about 12 minutes. <laughs> um, I'm so busy, friends, that I had bread rising while I was on a Zoom meeting earlier today. And then you can't let it overproof. So it's in the oven right now. And I'm, I have a timer going, so I'm going to have to go check on it. And while I'm upstairs, I'm going to put some chapstick on. But we're going to pause our conversation when I'm when my timer goes off so I don't have bird bread. I don't think anybody's going to know where the pause is going to come from because I'm going to edit it so as they don't have any idea. Well, I'm going to say I'm going upstairs to get my bread. And so they're going to wonder if the bread burned unless oh, you, true. Okay. you let us pause yes. the conversation. So normally how our- you could do an infomercial then. Right. I haven't written one. Normally how our shows go is Molly and I typically have first time ever conversations about something on the show because we hardly have time to go out um, by ourselves, much less do anything else. You know, it's really weird too, because I work from home, I'm home a lot, and yet we just cross paths all the time. Well, we like it, we, it, we don't our, make time for quality conversation. And we don't sync up very well either the during the Yeah. It's hard to have quality conversation when you've got kids running around screaming. You know what's interesting? It's not just kids running around screaming. Now we've got a 10-year-old who's like, what are you guys talking about? What are you guys talking about? Which is is an interesting milestone because we have to be more careful what we say about life and things and world events and people we know and plans that we're making. We have to not say things unless we're comfortable with him saying them. But I don't know if you've noticed this, but a couple times in the last couple weeks when we had our brisket party with your ski patrol friends, he, Titus, who is 10, sat at the table and hung on every word. So it was you and another guy who is a little bit older than we are and then a handful of guys who were quite a bit younger than we are. Sitting around, I don't even, I mean, the conversation was across the board. It was politics, it was food, it was life, it was skiing, it was, I don't even know what it was. But he sat there, I don't know if you noticed this, he hung on every word you guys said. He started doing that a lot last year at the cabin. He he mentioned that to me when I put him to bed that night. He was like, this felt like the conversations, except I feel like grandpa's friends at the cabin have better stories. <laughs> and I was like Grandpa's friends at the cabin are a lot older And have a lot more to draw from Yes, both life experience and money To have those life experiences Right, right. You know, I mean, Grandpa's friends at the cabin Are talking about hunting large game in Africa And right. the northern regions of Canada And <laughs> In the meantime, my ski patrol buddies are like I just got a job their, right In the 20s, college. right out of yeah. college and I, just I mean, it was interesting Because it was that was the day after that 30 car pileup on oh, right. on the interstate mm-hmm. on the bridge over the Yellowstone 
And one of your friends is a paramedic who actually treated somebody who was flung over the edge of the bread, the bridge and fell 60 feet onto rocks below. So there was some pretty interesting conversation going on there because then it was like, what were they doing getting out of their car? And a couple of months ago, one of the other guys is a paramedic on a fire truck and a fire truck slipped on ice and rolled, rolled which totaled the fire truck, which is not like totaling a Hyundai. <laughs> <laughs> it's a major city budget item to replace a totaled fire truck. Anyway, so there were some genuinely interesting conversation right. points, but it is hard to rival Grandpa's experience at the cabin. But Titus did make that connection that he mm. really likes being part of the guy conversations. Which is so funny to me because I don't ever remember enjoying those conversations, sitting around the table with my parents' conversations. I never remembered enjoying doing that. And Titus loves it. He loves sitting around and just listening to the adults talk. Mm -hmm. And I never liked that. I was like, oh, another boring conversation, yada, yada. But um, I'm trying to remember. I mean, yeah, Titus likes listening to more boring conversations too. Part of that too is what else is he going to do? Because you had a brother to play with during Fair. the adult conversations. Yes. And the two sisters or the three sisters can go off and play together. But Titus is... But he's also... I mean, developmentally, boys have this very distinct... These times where at first babies see themselves as an extension of their mother. They don't actually have a sense of self. And then they start having a sense of self. And I'm trying to remember particularly... It's like ages two to... Like four, five, six, somewhere in there, attachment is most strongly to mom. But then they start to detach from mom and have the self-awareness of their gender. That I'm a boy. And then in their minds, they're not consciously necessarily asking this question, but it is. But they're asking themselves, what does it mean to be a boy? And do I fit with others? And that's both with their peers as well as with boys older than men, mm -hmm. males who are older than they are. And so he's in this stage right now where he's figuring out con self, not consciously, subconsciously, he's figuring out what does it mean to be a boy? He's very conscious of the fact that he doesn't live with other boys his age. And like with our small group, our natural friend groups have very few boys his age. It's boys who are quite a bit younger than he is or older than he is. Or all girls. And so, like, when this friend called, texted me on Monday morning, I was like, hey, can Titus come to the trampoline park with with my boys? And I was like, really want to get a lot of school done this week. But he gets so little time with right. boyfriends his age. I said yes, because I knew that the girls would get time with girlfriends just by default throughout the week. So, anyway, he did sit there listening and I find it fascinating um, and encouraging. It's very developmentally appropriate. And the fact that he's like, these are conversations that I'm not embarrassed to have him listening to. Right, right. You know, right. like these are, they're definitely, you know, particularly Grandpa Jim's friends. They're, <laughs> they can be rough around the edges. That's putting but, it mildly. Yes. But for the most part, these are guys who, for the most part, love the Lord, Yes, who love their families, who love seeing other families growing and desire to see those families grow and prosper. They're people who value hard work and they're people who not only value it, but show it by their lives and have the fruit of hard work and friendship of that male camaraderie that we're always talking, mm -hmm. not always, I guess we haven't talked about it on the show for a long time, but this, um, there's a crisis particularly of male friendship in the United States. And in, I, I don't know about the rest of the world, but in the United States in particular, there's a documented crisis of male friendship and it's resulting in actual physical damage to men. They say that the results, the physical effects of loneliness on a middle to upper, you know, whatever, middle-aged and up man mm -hmm. is the equivalent of smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. Wow. Like in terms of the effect on your heart, in your nervous system, in your immune system, you may as well be smoking two packs of cigarettes a day if you don't have friends. 
It's pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense though. What my dad's heart doctor said, the number one contributor to a heart attack is stress. Mm-hmm. Number one contributor to heart conditions is stress. So that's interesting. Uh, on that note of Titus hanging out with other male friends, I am super, super stoked. You guys will be, um, you may or may not be excited to hear. I'm just, I plan, we're planning our first ever epic mountain bike camping trip. I've always wanted to do like destination mountain, destination mountain biking trips and it's coming, it's, it's coming alive because I can take my son with me. Molly would never let me go by myself and Molly doesn't mountain bike. So she didn't really want to go, but we're taking, we've got two, uh, three of my buddies and their sons and all the boys are about the same age. So we're going to go camp. We're going to go hit some downhill parks in the Northwest part of Montana, which are ski areas, right? Yeah. Lift access mountain biking up and then the trails are not the ski downhill. Yeah. They got separate trails. They got jumps and they got flow bumps and they got bermed corners and it's just super fun. So we're going to go titles to get a lot of fun guide time with that, which I'm kind of excited about. And on that note, if you guys follow us on Instagram, too busy to flush, all one word. Um, if you follow us on Instagram, I just posted a story today. I burned our crib. And I added an explanation <laughs> that you're not just burning a nice crib because you're a bitter, weird person. No. But it was broken enough. I tried to give it away. And with the My explanations God. about the extra hardware you would need, and I'm not really sure what all hardware is missing and stuff, nobody wanted to take and it. My comment, though, is nobody else shall desecrate the sleeping location of my children. All of our children have gone through that crib and no one else. So it's I thought that was kind gone. of a weird comment, to be honest. I think it's funny. I know you do. I, I do don't. weird, funny things. This is what I do. I know you think it's funny. I thought it was kind of weird. And I had to add the explanation that we're not just being wasteful and selfish, but we're actually... <laughs> were you worried that people were thinking we're wasteful and selfish? I would if I saw somebody. First of all, if I could figure out what it was when you when I was on the Zoom call and you oh, sent me the true. text, I couldn't figure couldn't out tell it was a what crib you were burning. actually sending me a picture of. And crib then when burning. I figured out it was a crib burning, a crib burning, I felt like, why would you not give it away? Why would you burn? That it? sounds like a that sounds like something you would like a rite of passage thing. What are we gonna have tomorrow night? We're having our crib burning or something. <laughs> I'm reading a book to the kids for school right now called Uriah that no Hittite warrior and it's it's a youth who is Hittite which is from the area like north of now I'm going to get my C's mixed up anyway north of Canaan his as the Greeks are starting to conquer that part of the world he's driven out he's orphaned he ends up in Tyre for a while and in Canaanite lands and it's cool reading the story because it makes you understand the geography more and what was going on in that geography. But he's in the Canaanite lands. He's involved in child sacrifice to Moloch. And so crib burning would be like the modern version of child sacrifice to Moloch, which, um, you know. Did Um, Hannah really, did Hannah like tag us in this how to flush thing? Yes, her child flushing the (laughs) toilet with with her foot. Oh, okay. You reshared it on our, on our thing. Hannah, you're awesome. So, you know, we have too busy to flush is our name. And she posted, if you go to our stories on Instagram, she posted a, uh, what a little good little flusher who is not too busy to flush. I posted that part. She just Ah, good. Just how to flush. How okay. To flush. All right. Yeah. Well done. Well yeah. done on the social media. Okay. My timer has 20 seconds left. Ooh, cool. I'm going to run upstairs and check the bread. All right. And then we're going to talk about two things oh. that I want to talk about. Okay. I've got a blog post I want to put up. anything meaningful in the last 20 minutes yet. <laughs> yet. I'm back. Did it burn? It is nice and dark in a good way. It is not burned. Cool. Yeah. It didn't rise as well as the two loaves I baked previously, though, which means that it was overproofed, so, which means it rose a bunch and then the bubble started popping and it got a little bit flatter. Now, are you doing anything fancy with this particular sourdough bread like you did last time with the cheese and the mixed and cheeses the herbs. and the herbs? No, it's just plain old sourdough. Just plain old sourdough? Yeah. Okay. Which, is this some of Lily's Bread Company bread or is this stuff we get to eat when it comes out of the oven? It's both. It's Lily's Bread Company bread, one. Uh, there's a loaf for us. And then I thought I might try 
to bring a loaf over to our neighbors whose husband had (sighs) a heart attack, Um, which guys, this is a really weird time because in Montana, like most things are open up and most people aren't wearing masks because we're all outside and whatnot. But then some people are still wearing masks and still very concerned. And this is a doctor and his wife and we don't see them outside very much. And part of me wonders if, if I show up with food that might be contaminated with our germs and am not wearing a mask at their door, if it would freak them out. Um, Hard to say. I know. So we can only take that risk though. We should take that. Um, Yeah. I'm going to text her after this and ask how they're doing and then ask if maybe that's, that's what I'll do. I'll ask if it would be okay if I brought some. So our six year old Lily has uh, our eight year old, our eight year old Elizabeth has, um, a bread company now she makes she makes and sells sourdough loaves for five bucks a piece to mostly just a couple of and people she does everything except the 450 degree oven so that's right. why i was doing this she even drew her little label that says lily's bread company has a loaf of bread a, on it has a loaf of bread on it she drew it on a and so we copy them on stickers and put them on the bags it's pretty fun yeah, it's cute. It is fun. It makes the other kids jealous because Titus, you know, he's like, "I want to make some money." I don't know. I don't, you know. Well, especially Elise is the same way. She's like, "I don't have any way to um, make money." She and... does. She can clean poop. Yeah, for us and my can. parents, and she always declines to when I ask if she wants to clean poop in our yard. Fair. And I told her that I would pay her fifty cents a time for ten minutes of foot and back rubs for me, because she is actually really good at foot and back rubs. Mm. And every day I say, I will pay you 50 cents because that's three fifty a week. Right. That's not bad if she does it every no. day. So um, we're, but she, she has declined every time or the other day she touched my foot and was like, this, this is going to be a really long time. I don't want to do this. And I was like, okay, fine. Don't complain about money then. So Titus, um, before we'll get to your, uh, your topics here in just a second. Um, but one of the things where I've been trying to think through, Molly and I have been talking about this for a while, is how to teach our kids the value of money and early, you know, taxes and tithing and death and all that thing. And I've always taken a Halloween dad tax out of their buckets. You know, I take the Butterfingers when they're in there. I'm like, this is your dad tax. That's... Um, it's not quite the same thing, though. So Titus has grown out of his dirt bike, his, his mountain bike, and um, I found him a new one and ordered it for him and said, well, it's used, but I said, you are going to basically work this off all summer. And I have a whole lot of projects lined up for him. So I've created a timesheet for him. I've come up with the rate of $8 an hour, which Grandpa Jim says is really way too high. But it's a lot of hours for this mountain bike. And I, I don't want to make him... I feel badly for him. I actually kind of want to... If he had a choice, he probably would have gotten himself a cheaper mountain bike and done less work for it. <laughs> a cheaper mountain bike that then would I'd need to put twice the amount of money into to keep running I'm just um saying. so but no so anyway uh i'm i hope it works out well he's been pretty ambitious with it so far and he's learning how to use a timesheet he's learning that money is a precious resource it's hard to earn it's easy to lose unless you're and, the government and you can just print it and send it everybody who will then yeah, think right? that you're amazing so i'm kind of excited about that we'll see how that goes this summer i'm also hoping that i can get some labor out of him for the camper and everything else he's stacking wood Right yes. now is his next He doesn't project. mind that job actually. No. No. I don't think I don't think he'll mind using a giant heat gun and a scraper on the roof of the Spartan, but we'll see. Mm. He used to hang out on the roof or something. That could be fun. Yeah. Well, it's not too hot. So anyway, that's the other thing we're doing with our ten year old. We'll see if it works. If you guys have any great ideas on how to teach your kids money and working and saving and all that stuff, then you know, feel free to post it up somewhere. Yeah. So I haven't told you this because we haven't really had time to talk this week, but this is Elise week for me. Elise, Elise is, week. Yeah. Elise is our six-year-old. And a couple, it's been at least a year now, a friend of mine recommended a book called Raising the Challenging Child. And she's a therapist and has been around our family enough that she thought I might benefit <laughs> from it. And um, she she was right. I started listening to it while I was driving the kids up to their ski lessons last Saturday And I made it, I don't know how much, I got to a point, I don't know, half an hour in, 45 minutes in, where I was like, okay, I need to turn this off and commit a couple of points that have really resonated with me to memory and work on practicing those Mm. before I keep listening to the book and those get lost in the shuffle. And one of the really big points that they pointed out is 
and it's not it's not a Christian book, although the the gal who wrote it is runs a faith based nonprofit for helping challenging youths. I think they have in house treatment as well as you know to go services. I don't know what the word is for for challenging kids and their families, and so this she's translating things they've developed for working with they're extremely challenged like in in-house you know therapy um into family stuff and i've it, it's interesting the one of the things that she says is there's what what therapists call the golden ratio and i don't i joke about love not, cups not pythagorean's golden no ratio. no i don't, i joke about love we joke in our family quite a bit about love cups because not pythagorean. Anyway, love cups. Love cups. Um, Ed Ed Welch, in his book, When People Are Big and God is Small, writes that we are leaky love cups. And the idea is generally in in the therapeutic, in the self-care world, you don't, you can't take care of other people until you yourself have been well taken care of. So it's, it's, it's a self-indulgent, put your oxygen mask on first by helping your child put their oxygen mask on, but it's that he makes the point that we're leaky love cups. We're not actually love cups where we can get filled up and then we overflow out of the overflow. We love and serve other people is how we generally tend to operate. Mm -hmm. But he's like, you're never going to have an overflow. Your sinful heart is always going to have need for more self-affirmation, need for more love for you, need for more time, me time. You're always going to need more if your mental model is I can't love other people well before I myself feel well-loved first by Jesus. And the Christian version of it is, right. is I have to be well-loved by Jesus, not well-loved by myself and other people. But he points out Jesus doesn't work that way. You love and serve other people no matter where you are in life. And your Christian joy comes out of that obedience and out of trusting God to take care of you no matter where you are. So anyway, I joke about having love cups in our house in a way. But at the same time, our kids have not caught on to the joke because they haven't read Ed Welch's When People Are Big and God Is Small. And they will say, my love cup feels empty. Will you snuggle with me? Mm. And especially Lily, our eight-year-old, will ask for snuggles at night. And then Elise, the six-year-old, hears her and is like, well, I need snuggles too. And what I've realized, so in, the, in this book, Raising the Challenging Child, they talk about deposits and withdrawals in a relationship. And anytime you're saying yes, giving compliments, giving physical affection, that's a deposit. Anytime you have to say no or discipline, that's a withdrawal. And the idea is to bank enough deposits that the withdrawals don't make you run a deficit. Hmm. And there's actually been research in couples and the golden ratio of deposits to withdrawals is five to one. So five expressions of thanks, compliments, expressions of affection for every one negative. Hmm. Which I was—I've actually been thinking about that between you and me in the last week, and I'm like, I don't—I don't know how many. I don't know how I would quantify deposits in versus our marriage withdrawals. Relationship. I mean, I feel like we're not necessarily running a deficit, although sometimes I feel like we're, you know, maybe <laughs> just our bank account's empty, <laughs> or it's just above being. You know, there, there's twelve cents in your bank account right yeah. now. There's just not a lot going on there. But, um, you know, but the. I think where I do function with that in our relationship is if I'm feeling critical, it's like, I don't think it would be any good to say that right now. Would you like an example? No. <laughs> okay. I won't give you my examples then. Because <laughs> I haven't done enough of deposits. Of course I today. don't want any examples. <laughs> There's not enough deposit. There's not enough flush cash there to make no. you want to hear a deposit or a withdrawal. Nope. Um, so I've been thinking about that with Elise, like how often am I putting deposits into our relationship? Because I've realized that during the week, especially when I'm trying to get things done, 
when I'm dealing with a two-year-old who sucks up so much attention and who makes so many messes and Elise like has this effect where she just amps up the two-year-old. So if the two-year-old is fussy, Elise makes her fussier. If the two-year-old is feeling wild, Elise makes her feel wilder. If the two-year-old is making a mess, here's an example from this morning. The two-year-old comes out with my with my tub of tanagram shapes. Pattern blocks. And it's, yeah, pattern blocks. It's, it's like a gallon tub mm-hmm. of these different little wooden blocks that are like one inch big. So it's a lot of blocks. The two-year-old comes out and says, can I play with these today? And I said, if you keep them at the table, you can play with them. And so she gets a cookie sheet, a spoon, and a bowl. And she pretends she's making cupcakes with these. Elise comes along and is like, I am going to empty out mom's utensil drawer and use three extra pots and two strainers, one of which is broken and one of which was in good condition when she got it out this morning. And so, you know, she just exponentially added to the amount of mess and the amount of now pots and pans that I need to wash because they've had grubby little fingers all over them. So anyway, I... Because Elise has that effect on her, if Lily's feeling grumpy, Elise can't antagonize her. If Lily's feeling wild, Elise amps that up. She just is like a supercharger to whatever she's attached to. And so she gets a lot of negative attention because even the happy wild wears me down. And so she gets just withdrawals all week. And can you read this chapter book to me? No, I'm trying to do school with the big kids. Would you like to do school? No. Okay. Then go away and leave me alone. Like there's, you know, even the request to go away and leave me alone is a withdrawal because it's asking of her things. So I've been very deliberate in finding ways to say yes to her and finding other ways to put deposits into that. And so I've done less schoolwork with the big kids this week and read big parts of two chapter library books that she's, as you have noticed by trying to read to her, she's not even actually particularly interested in, but finishing that book was a really big deal to her. Which is so weird because about four minutes into reading her a story, she hops up off the couch and goes and runs off and finds something else. Sit back down for a second. I'm reading a story. (laughs) But I think the satisfaction for her, like, wow, Mm -hmm. mom and dad read me. Like it's just me. They're not reading this to the whole family which tends to be directed at the older kids who can track with it better. This is her book that she picked out for herself at the library and that we read just for her and she finished it. So that was a really big deal to her. And I feel like that was a big win. Um, So I've been trying to make more deposits than withdrawals with Elise. Another one from this book that was really interesting to me. um, I wrote three down. Um, is um so deposits are saying yes and giving praise finding ways to say yes the other one that really resonated with me was um in helping them feel empowered like they actually have a sense of control and again elise is the third born the older two are more physically capable they're more mentally capable they because they have more command of themselves they tend to dominate family choices as well as their own choices when they're playing together. And then when, again, she's doing kindergarten, which is like half an hour of school versus the older kids that are three to four hours of school. Then so when I have a few minutes, I'm like, okay, sit down. This is the time I have for you. This is what we're going to do. And you're going you're gonna to do what I'm going to do. And she made the point that and it, it gave me a lot of empathy because I hate just being tossed around and I hate other people making choices for me. Yeah. And she said, she uses the example in the book of a kid coming home from school and his job is to take out the garbage. And she's like, here's a withdrawal. Take out the garbage right now. Here's a deposit because you're giving someone a, you're giving them the power to make a choice over there on, would you like to take the garbage out right now when we do, as soon as we get home from school and get out of the way? Mm. Or would you like to take the garbage out after dinner and we've cleaned up dinner and put that garbage in there? So, and she's really big on kids need 
kids need the mental safety of parents being the leaders in the family, of parents setting boundaries, of parents enforcing the boundaries. And she's like, look, you have to make the deposits because as a parent, you have to make withdrawals. If you were in the store and the yeah. kid wants, you know, you went, you're grocery shopping and the kid wants a toy in the checkout aisle, as the responsible parent, you should be saying no to that. But you you should also be making enough deposits that the kid has the cushion to absorb a no in their bank account. And if it's an older kid, if you've gone shoe shopping and they want to buy this pair of designer jeans, again, have the deposits. So you say, no, we're here for shoes. And this is what I have budgeted to spend my money on. But I love the garbage example because we make Titus do stuff like that all the time. And I tend to be like, no. We have people coming over, get the compost out to the compost piling that get the garbage out to the garbage can instead of offering him a choice that still assumes that this is his responsibility and that he is expected Hmm. to do it. But it gives him a sense of power. And I mean, that's that's what we want our kids to grow up to. Anyway, we want them to grow up to being able to make responsible choices and not feeling flailed or needing to have someone control them and tell them what to do all the time. So with Elise, I've been trying to practice this with just very simple things like, would you like to start with me reading you from your new chapter book and then do your reading lesson? Or would you like to start with your reading lesson and then have your chapter book as a reward? Uh, So, I mean, so to her, she's getting, she's feeling empowered because she gets to make a choice and she gets some control And there's, and her point is fine. And so that's a deposit rather than a withdrawal. Like at least sit down. It's time for your reading lesson is a withdrawal because I'm asking something of her uh, or I'm commanding something of her rather than the exact same thing. It costs me nothing to make the deposit versus making the withdrawal. Yeah. And I suppose we're always in some fashion with that, with that analogy, we're always making various deposits and withdrawals all day long subconsciously or even without even knowing what yeah. how we're responding. So then you can actually change your you can change your behavior. It's kind of that weird sort of it feels like a weird sort of catch 22 like you need your heart to change towards your child. But sometimes you have to just act as if your heart is fully engaged with that child when it's not. And just by doing by by doing those behavioral sorts of things, your heart has actually changed a little bit in the process. Yeah, it's I think, cer- for me. It's certainly I find myself seeing her more as the sweet little human being that she is, who when she's told no for the twentieth time before church in the morning, and this actually happened last Sunday morning, she went and hid in a corner because she was just like so beaten down by and it wasn't nobody was yelling at her for breaking an entire stack of dishes it was just you're always asking for things that we can't do because she kind of is she that's just yeah, her that's, personality yeah. she pushes because she just in her scope of viewing the world doesn't process no very well except as taking it as finally as rejection and so I'm I'm not sure how I could go back and redo Sunday, but it's made me feel a lot more empathy toward just the frustrating feeling of powerlessness that she probably lives with a lot. And then on top of that, just the kindness of giving her a little bit of control where it doesn't hurt me at all to give her right. that feeling of control, but it is probably way more meaningful to her subconsciously than I recognize like yeah. the would you rather clean the loft first or clean your bedroom first you know just you know there's giving her the power of a choice well it's so funny because she's very much like I end up saying no a lot of times out of necessity because she does things like we're you know I'm out running I'll frequently take her with me on errands and because he gets her out of the house, she gets some alone time with me. We get to hang out, 
and we know we'll be we'll be running our errands. She's like, Dad, I know what we're gonna do this afternoon. We're gonna go home and we're gonna go in the garage and I'm gonna do a project with you. And I'm like, no, because I have a pile of other things that I need to actually get done today, and that's not on the list. You know, and it's like it's not that I don't want to. It's that I just I can't like I've got a finite amount of time with which to and it's trying to figure out like I you know my my little wins are like this morning when I'm getting ready to go downstairs and Faith is like daddy play with me okay I'll give you 20 minutes on the blocks you know and it's like I could just say no I've got other things to do and I'd probably do that probably more often than I should but um Elise is challenging because she always throws she throws those requests in at horrible horrible times like it's just not even but in she her has paradigm. no concept of time right she's not even in her paradigm and she really doesn't have a concept of scale so we're gonna go build something together in the garage is right. to her not a bigger ask than will you let me right. play on the ipad for 10 minutes right yeah it's just it's to her it's like she has no idea how much it costs so that's why this has been Elise Week, so that I can say yes yeah. to some of those bigger asks, like, will you read page after page of the library book that I'm not actually really going to listen to you reading? Um, and because I've determined to make a lot of deposits this week, uh, I've had the freedom to do that because that's been my top priority, as well as putting just generally less, at least where the kids' school is concerned, less pressure on myself to be having to, okay, we've got this to-do list. We need to get it done. Nope, we're not going to play after lunch because we've got to get it done. We didn't get our schoolwork done in the morning like I'd planned. And so there's this kind of breathless pushing, 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 and then frustration when they push back or they're slowed down. And so the relieving that stress on me for this week has given me time to have a clearer mind to think, okay, how can I sit down with Elise and present, do you want to do your math first or do you want to do your reading first? Or, okay, we've we've hit yet another dead end in our reading (laughs) lesson struggles. And so let's, let's try this for reading lessons this week. And instead of, I've I've got a limited amount of time and I need to push to make this work, whether she is feeling cooperative or not. So I don't know how that will carry into next week. Kids are hard. But I'm hoping that at least in my own heart, it helps set a trajectory of making deposits and of just being mindful of Mm -hmm. are there ways that I can give her a sense of power over her life that are appropriate for a six-year-old, but, and that, don't necessarily cost me anything. So that's why we made cupcakes on Monday night, which is not my normal, like, let's make chocolate cupcakes on a school night, just have treats sitting around. But I wanted to, Lily's always the one who gets to help bake. And I wanted to give Elise the freedom. So she got to use the mixer all by herself. And then she got to use as many sprinkles topping the cupcakes. It's kind of, she's also kind of an odd duck in the fact that like we'll give her opportunities to do things, but she'll say no. And it's almost like they weren't, they weren't her idea. Yeah. So she's not going to do it. Like how many, like, you know, take grandpa Jim's skid steer, for instance, she's yet to want to ride in the skid steer or drive the skid steer or anything like that. And Tito was doing that at her age. It's like, well, we got, you got that. Here's your chance to do your thing. No. Yeah. Oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. You know, crazy kid. Oh, raising kids is hard, you guys. You all probably know that. And yeah. as as our friend Sedley, apparently her grandma has always told her, little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. So we have that to look forward to. Huh. Right <laughs> now it's like, where are my shoes and I can't find my gi. Yeah. Or my shoes have mud on them because I choose to step in the mud. And now I'm crying hysterically because I don't want to wear muddy boots. Yeah. Everybody's got problems, though. I mean, we just. Yeah. Big problems. Yeah. Um, Speaking of big problems, critical race theory. (laughs) You guys, before we get started, and I think Molly's going to bring this up because I was eyeballing her nose as we're sitting here in the chair. 
Um, there is a podcast. So we've made a couple references to critical race theory, critical theory resources in the past. And one of them is, I mean, back last fall, I did a big deep dive because it was kind of on the radar of a few things. And Molly found a four-part uh, YouTube, four-part video series with Dr. Owen Strand. And if any of you listened to Dead Reckoning back in the day, you will recognize his name as being one of our guests on Dead Reckoning. Um, wonderful, wonderful man and incredibly pastoral. He is Bruce Rare's Bruce Ware's yes. son-in-law. Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah. I saw that today. And he's uh, incredibly wonderful, uh, incredibly pastoral, wonderful heart for the lost and for the gospel. And he did a four-part series in, Min- in Minneapolis, in Minneapolis, the Church so. in Minnesota, yeah, um, called Christianity, Christianity and Wokeness. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And you can also go back on our blog at toobusytoflush.com and go back and look for that post. Um, in addition to that, Molly recently discovered something that's probably been making the rounds. Uh, if you listen to Ali Stuckey's podcast, she just recently posted up about it. And um, it's kind of all the rage right now. But it's called the Just Thinking Podcast. And they released episode 108. And they typically go a while between episodes. But they do that because their research is so deep and so thorough that it's just, it kind of, you kind of have to come back to it in bits and pieces. And this podcast episode is episode 108, Critical Race race Theory. It's three and a half hours long. And what I actually told some friends this week is that if you wanted to know anything and everything you could possibly need to know about critical race theory, you listen to Owen Strand's four-part video series, Christianity and Wokeness, and you listen to um, the Just Thinking Thinking podcast because they come at it. Virgil Walker and Daryl Harrison. Daryl Harris. Which one goes by Omaha? I think it's Virgil. He lives in Omaha. It's funny. These guys, those guys they are call really him, funny. So it's too, you, this, is the, this is the funny part. I'm going to interrupt you for just a minute. The entire podcast title is not just thinking. It's just thinking for myself. And they're two black guys who are conservative. And so they're just thinking, but they're thinking for themselves against the stream of how they black are people are so supposed to think. Nerdy. They like, are, it's just amazing. If you look at pictures of them, one a, of them's always a good wearing way. a bow tie. Yeah. I mean, in a good way. I mean, these guys are like deeply, deeply theological rooted and like put a lot of emphasis on But they're scripture. also joyful. Oh, yeah. They're fun yeah. to listen to they because they're happy. Um, so, you know, they, those two resources go hand in hand because Owens really, to me, really focuses on an emphasis of what to do with engagement, how to treat the loss, having a heart a compassionate heart for the gospel and for the people that 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 uh, are struggling with various understandings and beliefs of critical theories, and then you have, you know, the just thinking guys, and they go so deep into the history and philosophy, and all all the kind of the trajectory of things um, within within that same sphere of uh, gospel truth versus lie but from a from a very different perspective and i really appreciate it both because they both complement each other really really well they do um, complement so, each other well yeah i but it's a commitment you guys do, it is a commitment it's a commitment uh the owen strain one as far as i know is only available on youtube also yeah. which makes it trickier to stream than a podcast that you can download but the thing i love about the owen strain one which actually dovetails into what i wanted to to just mention it's not, I don't have a big mm-hmm. dissertation on it, but it's something that struck me this last week on CRT, but the Owen strain one, he doesn't start with the bad. He starts with the good and the beautiful. And he lays out what, what does God's plan for the nations look like in scripture? And he starts in the garden and then he goes through the book of revelation and in revelation, the supper of the lamb and in the new heavens and the new earth, every tribe, tongue, and nation is worshiping God in perfect unity. They've been reconciled by the blood of the Lamb. And I think we need to keep that at the forefront of our thinking. As you and I tend to get kind of our, our warrior gear on in the sense of we're going to fight off the bad guys and keep this bad stuff mm-hmm. out of our church. But 
it doesn't do us any good to keep the bad out unless we're also filling our hearts and our minds with the good. You know, right. Jesus himself says you cast out a demon and you leave the house empty and the demon comes back with seven more and f- takes it over even worse. So, I mean, an example of that, I might be totally off my rocker here, but you <laughs> cast out CRT and you don't fill it with good, beautiful love of the gospel. Yeah. And what comes in is Christian nationalism. And you have a Fair. bunch of really angry, really defensive, God bless the USA with emphasis on the USA and not on the God this, bless. <laughs> well, I mean, on the sovereign God of the universe right. who does what he pleases and calls us to serve him and his will rather than, hey, God, bless us. We're the USA, you know, and um, I, you know, so, so we're not, we're not defending the bulwark of the churches against CRT because it's a bunch of bad guys. We're defending it because it's a false gospel and because the gospel that we have that teaches forgiveness of sins, that fills our hearts with righteousness and with love and beauty and truth and that reconciles people who are broken, in broken relationship, no matter what that broken relationship looks like, whether it's race, whether it's marriage, whether it's other family, whether it's business brokenness, all of that gets reconciled by the blood of the lamb and only by the blood of the lamb. And it's because we esteem the blood of the lamb so highly we will not let any false substitutes come in and claim to do what that blood that cost so much can do. You said you didn't have a dissertation. I didn't. <laughs> well, I mean, so, and yeah. I've been mulling over a lot and I've, I'm, I'm going to write a blog post on this, you guys. And I know I've, I've mentioned that I've got a couple blog posts in draft mode that I need to actually sit down and finish for too busy to flush. But one of them is, uh, I was contemplating this after my Wednesday morning Bible study. We're studying, we're going through Unseen Things, which is a series of radio address addresses in the UK by by the theologian J. Gresham Machen. It's a wonderful book. He was in book. the UK? He was an American theologian. I think he did it in the UK, in, in the UK radio. Huh, okay. Pretty sure. Um, but... Uh, I, I mean, I could be wrong, but that's what I understood when I was reading the introduction. Okay. So, but, you know, things in your I, I'll take your word for it. So, um, it. he, uh, uh, I derailed my thought here for a second. You win same morning. Yeah, we're, we're going through this book and we were talking about, he was, he was talking about, we're coming kind of on the topic of verbal inspiration and, and I don't know really what kind of started it, but we were talking about, somebody brought up the, uh, Gil. Oh, he made a comment about, um, practicing a religion to try to earn your righteousness. And I made a note in the book, like, well, that's Islam because you try to do Islam perfectly like Muhammad. So instead of resting in somebody else's righteousness, you're trying to work off your salvations type of stuff. And then we got to talk about guilt. And I remember um, one of our missionary friends in Malaysia said one of the, one of the not, he doesn't use it as a gotcha question, but one of the questions he he frames when actually engaging with Muslims on a, on a relationship basis, long-term basis is what do you do with your guilt? What do you do with your guilt? And I, and it just, I was like that. And there's actually in Islam, there's no way to be expunged of your guilt. Right. And I got to thinking, you know, that's the, you know, this whole white guilt, white oppression thing is not dissimilar in the fact that we can't do anything with that guilt. What do you do with your guilt? Well, I can't do anything with it. So instead, I'm going to become this raging anti-white oppression activist. And so I've been mulling over that concept and the whole guilt concept thinking, wow, there's, I mean, there's a gospel answer to a lot of, there's obviously the obvious gospel answer to white guilt, Right. Just Mm -hmm. on its very basic thing. And, you know, it's also an entry point for conversations. Okay. So you believe this. What do you do with your guilt? What do you do with that white guilt? Do you bury it? Do you, what happens to it? Are you trying to work it off? The answer in Robin D'Angelo's book, White Fragility, 
which so ironic that she's white and has made millions of dollars. I mean, she gets paid like $100,000 for a 15-minute talk at Google sort of thing. Like the amount of money she's making off of this is mind-blowing. Anyway, um, her answer and the answer absorbed by people is to try to be less white. Try to act less white. That's the best you can do. Best you can do. And the, you know, the the other catchphrases that would work in that are do the work, whatever the bleep that means. Yeah. And and be anti-racist. See, but that's that's simply the religious aspect of critical race theory. Of working for you're your... working, you're earning, you're trying to work off your guilt, work off your penance, pay pen, you know, whatever that looks like. And it's like there's a gospel it is answer for a that. Hopeless system. And that's actually exactly where I was going with what I wanted to say. Because Eric Erickson, a couple of days ago on I I can't remember. I feel like I clicked on a link to something he'd written on Instagram. It's gonna take me some work to find it, but I'll try was to find it, it for his, you. Uh, it wasn't it was his, on his it wasn't the subscription thing because you get that in an space, email. Yeah. You get that in an email that I don't read. But he he was just throwing a couple of thoughts out about CRT and the phrase that he said was it's a religion without grace. There is no forgiveness. None. And um I guess you know dovetails exactly with what you were saying and it makes me think of a book title by Miroslav Wolf. I read the book back when I was working at Peacemakers. It's called Free of Charge: Giving and Receiving in a Culture Stripped of Grace. And that's what we're living in right now is we live in a culture completely, completely devoid of grace. And CRT is a system that is completely without hope because there is no actual final expiation for your sins. The best you can do is keep working at trying to be less white, keep apologizing, keep finding new things in the culture to be outraged at, to prove your standing amongst the redeemed. And it's not just CRT, though. Christianity is the religion in the world with grace, where you don't have perpetually angry gods, or however you want to define gods, whether it's in your own heart, of humanism, or whatever it is, it's a system where you can say, I did that, that was wrong, and I am free of it because somebody else paid the price for it. I'm no longer perpetually in debt to anyone, mm -hmm. whether it's human or divine, because that price has been fully paid and set aside. And where I was going with that is, you know, not only do we need to cast that up as a huge contrast and, you know, for people who are wanting to chew the meat and spit out the bones of CRT within the church and take what common grace, good, good ideas it has to offer us, you know, which is, I heard, was it the, no, it wasn't the just thinking guys somebody else was like that's like taking like there was a like a, a garbage fish that's all bone and there's like little flakes of meat on it and being like here have this for your meal enjoy when in <laughs> fact you have like a salmon or a halibut sitting off to the side you know or you yeah. you bring it you bring that as a gift for your hosts when they're serving you halibut for dinner, you know, just huge chunks of meat with absolutely no bones in them, wonderfully prepared for you as a sermon every Sunday morning. Anyway, <laughs> you know, so the idea that that you can learn things that we need to be studying CRT and adopting it into our lives and our worldviews because there could be good that is is to be offered from it. We need to hold up this huge warning sign and say, sure, you may have your guilt exposed, your racism in your heart or whatever historical racism you feel responsible for that you're benefiting from. And yes, the fact that there is actual privilege in this world experienced by people 
and there is actual racism, which the just thinking guys have experienced racism themselves. They're not denying any of this stuff. Um, And so we can hold up this big warning sign and say, but what do you do with your guilt then? And, but I think we also need to be practicing the confession of our sin to one another and to God so that we aren't just, you know, holding up the sign like, what do you do with your guilt? But we in our hearts have the deep cleansing practice habit of taking our guilt to the appropriate place, which is the cross, and of letting other people, leading other people to take their guilt to the cross and then us no longer holding their sins against them. And, you know, for us, that's in our church body and that's in our home for the most part, where I want my kids to instinctively know the difference between something like CRT that is devoid of grace and life, a a grace-filled life where you can be an absolute turd and this isn't hypothetical, and ruin last Friday's ski day by throwing a fit in the middle of the ski run and having your mom take off her skis and stomp down to the car and say, I'm not skiing anymore today with you <laughs> kids. And I, Lily that night said, I feel gross inside because of hmm. how I acted. And I was like, I love you. I forgive you. I'm sorry for me responding in anger. And I will snuggle with you and refill your love cup, (laughs) which will be leaky. But at this point, what you need is a, Lily's very big on, very big on needing tangible expressions of love. And so for her, having mom say, I will cuddle with you in your bed. And what happened between us what, I was going to say five hours ago, it was more like 10 hours ago, will not stand between us because our household is one where grace is reigning and where we actually believe in forgiveness. And I think, you know, I read a book. I'm about done. I read a book shortly before we met, and I wouldn't recommend it to people necessarily, <laughs> but it was by a guy that I went to college with who was one of the big intervarsity, like he and his girlfriend were like the Christian couple on campus of their grade. And they married right out of college and they were divorced like a year and a half later. And he wrote a book about the whole getting married I remember you process. Me about that. Yeah. And then the, like the divorce <laughs> it just didn't, the book just didn't go. Well, direction. I mean, the book was actually really interesting. It, it, it was probably really hurtful to her because it was so raw and so fresh. I think yeah. he wrote it immediately afterward but it was also then starting to date well but then starting to date you who was divorced it gave me some insight into some of your experience because i think in some ways his ex acted in similar ways to your ex and as i'm reading things (coughs) bless you thank you as i'm reading things through i'm allergic to crt as i'm reading (laughs) um as I'm as I was reading some of these things, one of the things he describes is in counseling sessions, she would accuse him of things that he was like, I didn't do that. Like it started with accusing him of looking at magazines in checkout lines. You know, you were looking at that girl. I mean, it was right in front of my face. Wow. But, and you know, so then it moved into <clears throat> outright accusations of being addicted to pornography and then of actually cheating. And he's like, um, like, uh, uh, but you control every aspect of my life. How on earth would I cheat on you? Right. You know, and okay, if you think that I have a pornography problem, which I don't, like control all of my devices. And so he, he, his life was completely controlled by her. But because her heart was, in a sense, a caricature of, I think, what all of our hearts can be, which was a bottomless pit when we set ourselves against somebody. It doesn't matter what they say sorry for and what they do to make up for it or what they're willing to confess to us. It's never enough because our hearts in our sinful anger are bottomless pits. And so we and we all have 
the capability of yeah. being like that, whether it's for two days of silent treatment to each other, whether it's at the third child who, you know, we get set that she can't do anything right because she's always a thorn in the flesh. And then when you actually take time to love her well, you enjoy her. But but if you don't take the time to set your heart right towards somebody, you become that graceless, bottomless pit. And I think that we need to recognize that we all have the capability of doing that and to deliberately cultivate cultures of grace in our micro worlds as well as where we can. Well, and that's what's so frightening I say frightening because it does kind of scare me a little bit, which I shouldn't live in fear, but about CRT and the proponents of, you know, of this racism is that, you know, as long as, as long as this continue, as long as they don't have an understanding of, of the sinfulness of man's heart, as long as they don't have an understanding of a true answer to reconciliation, racism, and whatever sins humanity has. As long as they don't have that understanding, you can you will never be able to repay enough. Mm-hmm. Which goes back to the point of saying, we can't, we will never get there. That's why we have to continually push and strive because it'll never happen. And I can't understand why people are attracted to something that they can never, ever win at. Why do you... Why do you want to believe? That's the, the kind of the, the the insanity of sin. Why do you want to believe in something to which there is no answer, and you can because, never you can never because overcome? It's, it's the serpent's deceit in the garden. You will be like God, because to accept grace is to humble yourself. Yeah, and CRT going to its Marxist roots is all about power, which is what God alone has. And CRT holds out the promise. And I think this is why the lack of forgiveness and the lack of grace in CRT is a feature. It's not a bug. Right. It's a feature because it's all about power. And the goal is for the oppressed class to rise to a place of power, which then begs the question what then happens to them when they're the privileged class and they're oppressing other people? You create a cycle of violence, which we've seen in the Balkans, we've seen in hmm. Rwanda. I mean, we know this happens. Um, and yet history repeats itself because people are weird and hard and dumb. And <laughs> That's our next shirt. People are weird and hard and on the back and dumb. Handwritten instead of over <laughs> hand the courier written. and dumb. Um but but we are also oh, incredibly funny. prideful, and I think it's C.S. Lewis who talks about the hubris of of our age, where we always think that we're going to be better than the generation before. Sure, nobody has enacted socialism successfully in any culture ever, but we're better than that. We're smarter than that. We're more evolved than that. And so we're, we're going to be the ones who make it work right instead of being the ones who drive our country into debt. Yeah. An economic ruin and create a ruling class that is small over uh, that's oppressing a large oppressed poor class. I, you know, we're not going to do that because we're for the poor people. We're for the little people that anyway, I could go on and on about that, but I'm going to throw one more thing in here. That's changing subject a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, one more podcast I want to throw a mention to is our friend, Steven, who was here for the Bristol yes. party. We did Steven. a we did a you scratch your back we'll scratch you scratch our back we'll scratch yours yes thing with him we said you send us one of the best of your podcasts and we'll send you one of the best of ours so right. of course we sent him one where we talked about sex because when you guys <clears throat> and jerking off dogs. when you guys first hear about us that you search for the episode you go to the episodes that have sex in the title for the most part it's true I've seen it um, in the search results but Stephen has a podcast called the Whiskey Bench Podcast. Yep. And he's libertarian. He talks his liber- one of his co-hosts, I think, and I haven't had a chance to talk with him about her. You know, there's some swearing. You know, it's not a it's not a Christian podcast, but it's an a super enjoyable podcast. And he's a very strong believer. It's a super enjoyable podcast. And um she's a she calls herself a classical liberal. 
Um, so they align on a lot of things. Hmm. But I really, really enjoyed listening to their stuff because here's a bunch of young millennials who are like, really, you thoughtful. guys are actually smarter than me. Really thoughtful. And they also talk about alcohol. Yeah, oh yes, that's the whole thing. Is so, they make a drink, and then they talk. and then they enjoy the drink so throughout when, the entire conversation. So when Stephen was at our house, he made a drink he'd never had before called the Beggar's Banquet, and it kind of reminded me of an old fashioned. And I don't even like beer, but I thought it was pretty good. It was pretty good. It was <clears throat> bourbon, maple syrup, lemon juice, and lager. And since it was called the Beggar's Banquet, he used Coors Lager. <laughs> <laughs> because he thought it went in and it was, oh, and you awesome. garnish it, you garnish it with an orange wheel. Yes. So I, I'm going to send this recipe that Steven sent to us, to JR, and he can post it yes. in the it, show notes. It'll be in the show notes and then we'll have it up in the blog post and I'll try to get the blog post up right away. Again, it, that confused people a few times. They would get notified that there was a new episode up and, and then, then the blog post wouldn't it. have, I didn't, I didn't post the blog post and I got a couple texts going, have you been canceled? <laughs> no, no, I'm just busy. And like right now, we're going to get this show done and we're going to go up and have dinner. It's a really early dinner because tonight's judo night. And then we go off and do judo for two hours with an, a half hour there, half hour back. And then we get home, we get all the kids to bed. And by then it's like nine o'clock and I am totally wiped out, but I'm still going to try to come downstairs and get the podcast up because tomorrow I'm ski patrolling. So it's like... We'll sleep when we're dead. Yeah. And in the meanwhile, I take Unisom every night. When I'm six feet under, then I'll sleep. Until then, it's party hard, baby. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. Yeah. For you, maybe. Party. Guys, thanks Survival. for joining us. We love having you here. We didn't have any... Um, any. I didn't spend a lot of time looking. I know some of you emailed and texted... And stuff, and we got the cabbage recipe up. So Will in uh, Western Pennsylvania, Will, Will, in Western Eric, Eric, Eric in Western Pennsylvania, we got the cabbage recipe up. So if you guys wanted that cream cabbage recipe, it's up on the on the website. It's super delicious, and we had it last night for dinner, and all the kids just inhaled it except for Titus because he was weirded out by it. He ate one piece <clears throat> finally and was like, "Oh yeah, I like this." <laughs> Hilarious. Okay, so. Um, that said, you guys, we got that up. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing us with your friends. If you have found out about us through the world and everything in it, we are much appreciated. We really uh, love uh, world and everything that they're doing and um, are happy to support that, that particular program. That said, oh, fun fact, you guys, you probably have heard the name Paul Butler on the world and everything in it. He was my main guidance guy and professor at Moody when I was there. Hmm. Yeah, so that's pretty rad. He that was, was fun. he basically said I didn't even have to. I worked with him a bunch at Moody Radio too, so that's that's a pretty cool fact. So, too busy to flush.com, tb2f.com. You can follow us on Instagram at too busy to flush as well. That's where Molly and I kind of Molly hangs out on Instagram a little bit more than I do. But mm-hmm. um, I think that's all I got. What do you have? Anything? That's it. Until next week. Cool. Until next week, guys. Lord willing. Cool.